0: If you have a Caribbean, African, or Black parent, you automatically need therapy. Just putting it out there. (laughs)
1: Welcome back to another episode of Black in Real Life. This is your girl, Kristen of CandidlyKristen.com and the Creative Discipline Project. We are talking Black in Your Feelings, Mental Health and Wellness in the Black Community. And I am here with my girl, Yoli. It's me, Yoli Wia, publisher of Yoli's Green Living,
0: co founder of the Food and Wellness Equity Collective, and esteemed co host of this wonderful podcast called Black in real life. We're so happy to have our guest today, Matt Genius of Beach Stone Counseling, because he dispels the myth that Black male therapists don't exist, and they do. So, so happy to have you here with us today, Matt. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: And of course, Kristen and I were talking about mental health, especially in the Black community and in our own mental health, because all our conversations start with a, you know, a little spin on how we have perceived uh, our experiences in these places, in these spaces. So I would say therapy has been a saving force for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to be, you know, no humble brag, but my therapist dismissed me from her services because she said, (laughs) you came to do the work and you did the work and it'd be unethical of me to continue seeing you but you can always come back for a refresh And I was like, see, therapy does work. But now with pandemic, this was pre-pandemic. Now with the pandemic, I think I need to go back because a whole new set of anxieties and things that need to be addressed. Uh, What is your experience with uh, therapy? Well, first of all, Matt, how did you even decide to go down this path of becoming a therapist?
2: Oh, that's a great question. And that's a question that I usually try to answer for anybody that comes into my office so that they can start uh, neutralizing in their minds what a therapist is and what we do. You know, so when I tell the story, they get a, well, let me just tell the story. How about that? Um, I was in high school, I think in my junior year, and I was taking a course called Law Studies where we had to do mock trials. And randomly I picked out, the character that I would play in the trial, which was a psychiatrist who was defending a woman who had murdered her husband. Piqued my interest already. I'm like, let's go. And so with each character, you'd have to do, you know, research independently. And of course, they give you notes from the case. And all these cases are real cases. They just redact the names and certain information so that you won't know who the persons really are. And As I was studying the case file, I came across a terminology that I've never heard before. And that terminology was learned helplessness. And uh, in my young, young, you know, my young uh, life, I had never heard those two words paired together. How do you learn, how do you learn how to be helpless? And uh, what I found out was that it's a condition that occurs after a person has been in a helpless or hopeless situation for a period of time. And they start to agree with the reality that they would never or could never get out of it. And so they learn how to live and accept that situation as their truth. And I was blown away. I'm like, how could this exist? And as I looked around my environment, I saw it. I saw people who were in relationships where they knew it was unhealthy for them, but they did not make the change. What they did was they accepted the reality as their truth. I saw people in life circumstances, outside of relationships, probably in communities, at their jobs, that just accepted their reality to be what it was. And I told myself I needed to learn more about this. So I declared psychology when I got to college. And deciding what field to go into was a different story as well, because psychology is very broad. I knew I wanted to be uh, helping people. I just didn't know in what form. And so doing research in undergrad, I came across family therapy, which I am licensed in, and it spoke to me automatically because I come from a, not, not, not necessarily a big family, but I have three older siblings and my parents are West Indian, and that's a whole story within itself. And so to help me understand the context of me, doing the research on family therapy really opened the door for me to understand myself a little bit better And I thought if I could understand me and, you know, make some changes in my life based on this research, I definitely want to be a part of this field. And so I got into therapy that way.
1: I love that. I think, you know, there's so many different reasons why people get into therapy as therapists. But also, I don't think the general public understands some of the reasons why they should seek help. Like you had mentioned family therapy, but also there are so many different forms of therapy that, that practitioners, you know, uh, they specialize in. So can you describe some of the reasons why, you know, people should seek help or some of the reasons why people could seek help?
0: And before sure. you answer, Matt, I will say if you have a Caribbean, African or Black parent, You automatically need therapy. He's putting it out (laughs) there. (laughs) So he's putting it out there. So, so Matt, yes, please indulge
1: us.
2: No, I think that's true as well because uh, there's such thing as transgenerational, and we know uh, transgenerational trauma, and we know that a lot of our history is based on traumatic past from our, you know, second and third grandparents and so forth. So yes, if you are of West Indian, uh, African descent, there is a possibility that you might need some therapy. But just in general, I think what we need to start doing more so is uh, checking in with ourselves to find our base. What I mean by that is there are certain things that we've been calling normal for long periods of time that are not normal meaning that we accept certain traum- traumatic experiences and say that, oh, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. And I think we've even created a title for it. We, we've even utilized the word uh, resilience to describe a lot of us uh, as we go about our day to day issue to say we're resilient. But resilience has a lot to do with trauma. If you are resilient, it's the fact that you've been through something that allowed you to bounce back from And so, yeah, you can bounce back, but you have to account for the traumatic experience and the impact that those experience caused to you in the present state and could potentially cause in your future. So when you're looking at your present state, I think some of the things that you should look at are what caused you to feel outside of your normal self, your normal self. So what's causing you to not be you? What's causing you to overthink? What's causing you to sleep more? What's causing you to socialize less, what's causing you to have issues on the job, what's causing you to have problems in your relationship. And when these things starts to be consistent for a period of two weeks or more, then it's probably a good time to seek professional help.
1: I know um, some of the reasons like why people seek help for like depression, anxiety, stress, trauma, difficulty in relationships, uh, school and social related issues, um, even like low self-esteem, grief or personal growth. In your experience, do you see any of these reasons like more often than the others?
2: Yes. You know, so let me set the context on my clientele. Uh, I specialize in blackmail issues. And so uh, I I say that because the black male, man, we are very difficult when it comes to
0: don't (laughs) tell it, Matt. Sometimes
2: sometimes (laughs) we can be we can be very difficult in exposing, you know, our mental and emotional state. And I don't think that's the fault of every black male. I think it's because of the social engineering of living in a westernized environment. And so we, we don't feel comfortable expressing those areas and therefore they roll over and then we project them uh, into our relationships, whether it's personal or romantic. And so um, I think a part of what I've been seeing a lot of is a lot of childhood trauma being manifested in our adult lives, meaning the things that occurred to us 10, 15, 20 years ago is still manifesting In our present state, and so it could look like anxiety, it could look like depression, it could be anger, but a lot of it stems from unresolved issues from our past. And so I think I've seen, uh, you know, all of them. Uh, You mentioned anxiety, depression, you know, and, and other conflicts, but I think what the majority of the theme is is that we have issues that we've never addressed that our parents have not addressed, that our grandparents have not addressed, and they continue to manifest generation after generation after generation.
0: I think that is super important. Thank you, Matt. And to follow up on that, I think I've seen a lot of, even myself and friends who may have a parent or parents... When, they, when we try to address these particular issues or try to address challenges or things that are hindering us in our lives, sometimes that parent or that relative shuts down. So how would you say that therapy could support us in kind of self-resolving that and taking accountability for our own self-healing and not necessarily relying on the uh, the validation of that person for us to seek our own healing?
2: Correct. So I I can, I I love to share my personal stories because I I don't want people to feel uncomfortable when they sit in front of me thinking that I am, I have it all together and I always had it all together. No, I did not. And, um, and I went to therapy as early as I think I was uh, 26, my first time in therapy, I'm currently 40. And so uh, when I went to therapy for the first time, by the way, I lied the entire session the first time because I was like, I don't know you. I don't trust you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is the black existence, is it not? (laughs) You can't be
2: trusted. You have a hard time trusting and we can get to that in a second. Um, But I lied the entire session. And after I got to a space of being comfortable in the presence of a therapist, I really start to get to some of the truths that I was not aware of in my life. And one of the assignments the therapist gave me was I needed to write letters to uh, some of those individuals in my life, including my father, who really caused me um, psychological trauma, you know? And so um, we wrote the letter. I wrote the letter. We processed it in therapy. And he said, if I was up to it, I can actually have this discussion with my dad. Now, Whew my dad is <laughs> no my dad is a patient descent and exactly what you said you know when i went to my dad he did not accept any responsibility for what he did and i understood it in context of course and the therapist prepared me for it and so what i had to do is know that the journey that i needed to work on it's me and the conversation i was having with my dad it wasn't for him to Create any change, it was for me to be able to finally get a lot of those thoughts, feelings, and, you know, past experiences out to just have the opportunity to verbalize them. I wasn't looking for an apology. I wasn't looking for any justification. And that's how we kind of set the, the stage for the conversation. And I gave him space at the end to speak. And what happened afterwards was just justification 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 but i was already ready for that to happen so i wasn't expecting more and i didn't get any more it was about my process and so after i processed it i got it out my relationship with my dad changed drastically you know we're still in in a good space versus where we were before i had that conversation and was able to get that clarity of some of the traumatic issues that I suffered being his child.
1: That is heavy. And I mean, when you said you actually had the discussion with your dad, I was like, whew, I almost took it like, I don't know if I'd be able to do that because I feel like all of us, like all adults are really just children that have experienced trauma and are still harboring it so it's almost like when you get into a relationship the person you're getting into a relationship has trauma from their childhood that they more than likely haven't addressed and um like that's heavy i remember at one point i was trying to talk to my grandmother just not really about any traumas or anything but just to give her a uh Just a perspective. And I kept telling her, like, well, have you looked at it from a different perspective? Look at it from their perspective. Look at it. And she just had a hard time even doing that. So having those conversations with family members, I think, is something that has to happen more. And, you know, people need to utilize uh, therapists to help them do that. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask is, you know, in your um, experience and with your patients, and you don't have to go into details, but uh, what have you seen as far as like some of the benefits of utilizing therapy?
2: Wow. Uh, It's almost immediate. You know, I think sometimes within the first session, which is... Uh, a time just to get to know each other, go over documentation and allow for what we call as clinicians problem talk. So just within the first session, allowing that person to get out some of those things that they may have not had the opportunity or the space, the environment to uh, process is beneficial. It's beneficial almost immediately. It's almost like taking the weight of an elephant off of your shoulder having the freedom to say these things, to get them outside of your head, the benefit is almost immediate. And then one of the things that I preface is when we understand childhood trauma, then you have to understand that a lot of the actions or the residual impacts of the trauma allowed us to do certain things that we may have felt guilty about, shame about, Uh, you know, and other emotions about that we have to now go back and reconcile with ourselves. Meaning you got to cut yourself some slack when you fully understand the context of what trauma does to an individual.
0: Yes, I think, well, I've had to have some of those difficult conversations with my dad even recently. And it's a lot to take on in the moment. And one thing you know, someone I know very well, he told me once, uh, Jamal Lucas, he said he realized in having his own conversations that his father was just a man. He was a man before he had him. (laughs) He's going to be a man after him. And I think the humanizing of our relatives and our parents is a pivotal step in us coming to, to that healing space. So, I, I comprehend that it, th- those conversations can be difficult and can be challenging, but I, I have a, a sense of relief that I even attempted to have a conversation, even though the outcome didn't give me all the answers. It was a sense of me taking accountability for and, and take, ha- taking accountability and also taking the step and having the courage to at least attempt to address it.
2: Right, I, I would definitely agree with that. And I was talking to a client today about making sure that they go back and look at their younger selves or the, the person they were just last week, and remember that whatever we did, uh, I think sometimes we, we go quick to qualify it, to say that it's good or it's bad, but it's, I don't think we, I don't think that is always the best route to take. What we did isn't good or bad. It's what we did with what we had, you know. So when I think about my father, I'm not. Uh, when I look back at his actions, you know, I, I I don't say that it's good or bad. What I would say is that it's he did what he did with the information that he had, based on his capacity at that time. He was in his mind the best father that he was he could be
1: hmm. I I have a question about just finding a therapist. Um, You know, I found out uh, just doing some research online. uh, Shout out to therapy for black girls. And there's a new uh, network called the Black Therapist Network that helps black and brown people find therapists that they need. Um, But in your opinion, Matt, what's like the best way to find a therapist that can help? someone individually on th- with their personal experiences.
2: Right. Those, those uh, two websites that you mentioned are incredibly effective. Uh, there's also therapyforblackmen.org, which is also an, a great resource as well. Once you get to those sites, you're going to find a number of therapists. And I think sometimes our experiences may be that we've tried a therapist and it didn't work out. So therapy is not for me. No, you have to keep shopping around. You know, if I go to a grocery store and they don't have avocados, I'm I'm not going to never come back because they didn't have avocados or I didn't have a good experience at checkout. You know, I will go to another store to find avocados. You know, I would keep going until I get what I'm looking for, but it's the same thing. I think what we've, what we have done is allow any hiccup in the process of finding a therapist to be the answer to the equation. Like, I tried. I didn't find one that worked for me. This therapist didn't work. So I'm not going to go to therapy. No, you have to keep shopping around. So in the early onset, what I would say is that call call as many numbers as you can. Ask for a free consultation. Make sure that you can do your own independent research. Read reviews. See if you can get a face-to-face even for free. Some, some therapists are inclined to having free consultations in person. Do as much as you can because it's not what the therapists studied because there is a variety there are a variety of different schools of thought which uh, includes marriage and family therapy, clinical social work, mental health counseling, professional counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists and the list goes on and on. It's not to say that one would be more uh, helpful in a scenario. I think all of us could do the work in general. there are specific areas. But I think it's the alliance that you have with the person. And what I mean by that is that you allow that person to enter into a space that you feel comfortable with. And that comes from a work that that is exchanged between you and that person. Once you feel comfortable, once that alliance is built, then you can really start creating the change based on the comfortability that you've created based on that alliance. And that takes work it may not happen with the first therapist I, I've had plenty of clients that I wasn't the best fit for them and it's nothing personal about me it's just to say that our you know we're not simpatico you know we're, we just it's just something that's missing and so I would always refer three to four therapists in the process of discharging that client like I, I, I will tell them. I may not be a good fit, but let me help you find someone that you continue doing that you can continue doing this work with. And so we have to be persistent in this process of creating change in our lives.
0: And that's why you are an ethical therapist, Matt, because I I love my therapist. Initially, I was really stuck on, I need to find a black woman, because she's gonna understand all the struggles I'm going through. And then when that seemed to be a challenge, I said, well, hmm, what can I do that I would feel comfortable? Like, who would I feel comfortable with? And I made a decision, like, I just want a brown woman as a therapist. So my therapist happens to be an Indian woman. So she understands, and she's a a darker skinned Indian woman. So she has at least a sense of some of the things I have dealt with and am dealing with in this life. And I love her. She's amazing. I'm going to send her a text after this because I want to just say, hey, what's up? And we schedule my, up a new session. And the form of therapy uh, that she does is EMDR. I love EMDR. That is my personal choice. It has worked um, wonders for me. But I walked into the session, my first session with her, and I said, hey, this is what I want to work on and I want to get right to it. And she said, okay, we're going to go light speed, but it is your responsibility to tell me when we need to slow down. So can you thought, explain what EDMR is? It's EMDR. Okay. I, since you are the professional, can you explain what it is to us and our audience?
2: Sure. EMDR is a form of therapy that utilize eye movement, you know, it's called, uh, let me see if I can get the appropriate name for you. It's called, uh, uh, let me see, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a psychotherapy that was originally designed to alleviate the distress associated with trauma. And so what, when you are with the EMDR therapist, you with a person that has gone an extra step further to certify themselves in this type of Uh, modality to help people deal with types of trauma. If you think about eye movement, when when the eye is rapidly pacing, uh, uh, that's when we are in REM and it can pull up certain memory banks, memories that aren't necessarily available uh, just in in your regular state. So EMDR therapists utilize this process to get to certain areas that would normally not come out to the surface in a regular setting. I don't practice EMDR, but I'm very familiar with others who do practice it. It's a very safe, effective method to deal with trauma.
0: I think that's one of the things that I, the reason why I chose her, I didn't choose her based on that. I chose her based on her words. Like I I saw her site, I think I found her on psychology today and I read her bio and her words resonated with me. And in that moment, I was like, she is for me that's my that's my person and i think if more people did that they would actually find the
1: therapist uh, that would serve them so i have a question about i guess my experience finding my therapist i asked around um i was just like i know i want a black woman as a therapist you know, I didn't know anything about like specialties. I just saw, I found out about her. She worked in family uh, therapy. I got a lot of family issues. um. So I was like, you know what, let's, let's go here. Um. However, after just hearing both of you guys' experiences, I realized like I sat down in the office, we had conversations. I, got things that I needed to process and understand and unpack. However, I did not leave there with like homework. I didn't leave there with like writing a letter to your mom, writing a letter to your father, having these conversations. It was like, you know, think about how this makes you feel. And basically, I mean, I'm not going to say like she told me to man up, but it was like confront those feelings and have those discussions. But it really wasn't like a, you know, this is the course of action that you will need to take in order to get you from point A to point B. Matt, do you feel like most therapists or, or uh, therapists that are really beneficial? will give you those step-by-step or does it really matter? Does it really not matter? Like, is it more so just unpacking feelings? And if they need to have assignments to continue, those are the best therapists to go to, or what, what's your opinion on that?
2: I definitely think it's not a one size fit all. And that's why it's good to shop around, you know, like some people experiences may be beneficial without the homework, without the extra assignments. But I think you have to find someone to uh, that can allow you to pull out uh, the best methods of healing, and I think for some therapists, it's it's just how they are as a person that will allow them to uh, address issues in a particular way. So yes, we have the professional training, but not all therapists are created equal, you know. And so you have to compare notes at times. You know, I've had, I've had couples come to me and tell me that they've been to several marriage and family therapists or several therapists to deal with their marital issues, but have never had therapists uh, do the things that we're doing in my practice. And it's not a knock on those other therapists. It's just that the way they decide to practice may not allow them to take that route of healing that I may take. You know, so some some therapists are purists, meaning they will only use one modality uh, and they will try the one size fit all. That's okay. That may not be how it works for everyone. I am not that therapist. I use an eclectic style. So I pull a little bit from here. I pull a little bit from here. I'm even in the process of developing my own uh, theory for couples. And I've been utilizing this in practice for about a year and a half with couples, and it's been creating a lot of change in their lives and So what I would suggest is that if you feel there's more to um, there's more to address, then you may want to find a therapist that could pull. Out those specific things, and you may have to read reviews, like I said. Uh, interview the therapist a little bit longer to ask about various types of modalities, and you don't have to be shy about it. I think this is a process that most therapists are used to having people ask, "Hey, what you know? What theories do you use, or how do you practice therapy, or you know?" Just asking these questions to figure out if this person would be a good fit for you. So it's. I'm not going to say one is better than the other. It depends on the client and what they're looking for that would best set them up for success afterwards.
0: Thank you. I I definitely agree and see that. As I started therapy with, uh, with one therapist and after a couple of sessions, luckily my insurance switched and then I couldn't see her anymore and I realized I need a different therapist because... I was forcing myself to go because I knew I needed those sessions, but she wasn't necessarily the right fit for me. So, you know, as I'm a adulting better, I see the, the relevancy is like, don't just force yourself, you know, force yourself into a peg to fit there because you know you need the, the support and the help. Find something that actually fits for you because then you'll get the most benefit out of it. How would you advise people currently, especially with the pandemic and everything going on and dealing with our civil rights movement and also with all the election madness? Do you think it's having therapy, especially during this time, is pivotal to us progressing and getting to the other side of all the pandemonium that we've been surrounded by?
2: Yes. Yes. And a thousand more. Yes. I, I I, think that one of the first things that we have to establish is the context of where we are in the year 2020. What I mean by where is thinking about all that has occurred up until this point. 2020 started off with a lot of us deeming that this year will be the year as we do every year new, around New Year's. This is my year, girl. Or
0: Yes it was. It was supposed to be my year, Matt,
2: and I got I got skipped
0: like everybody else.
2: Right. So so starting off, we all had that great feeling and then it was one thing after another that seemed like it would never end, and that's compounding. That's compounding issues. And once you compound issues, that means that you're starting The process of addressing one thing, or maybe some of us have not even started to address the first thing. And then before we could even get our feet settled in, something else start to happen. And then now we have two things. And then we have a third thing. So let me just be specific instead of general. One of the first things is the fact that we had COVID-19, which changed a lot of our lives in various ways. One of the ways that it changed my life was that I didn't have the opportunity to socialize as much as I needed to. I work in private practice and I'm here by myself outside of seeing my clients. So being at social events and networking was important to me because that's when I had the opportunity to be around others. I'm a relational being. So you remove that from the equation. Now you're not allowing me to be in a state of homeostasis based on not having those interactions. A hug in itself can provide dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, a smile, a handshake, just a conversation. All these things can cause and allow us to be in a balanced state. Remove that from us and we're in a different state. Then you add to it political unrest, that's trauma. That's stress. That's anxiety. Those are compounding issues as well. Then you add loss of life, which a lot of us have experienced over the course of this year. That's another form of trauma. That's grief as well. So now you have all these issues that are compounding and then add to that political unrest. And now you have more stress. And so where we are isn't our normal. So a lot of our behaviors, our interactions in our relationships, in our business, in our families, this isn't our norm. And I think sometimes we still hold ourselves to the standards of last year or the year before uh, on how we interacted with each other, but that's not this. And we have to be okay with that. And once we can identify that we're not in the same state of mind or emotional state, then the next question is what are we willing to do about it? You know, are we just gonna allow this to become the norm or are we going to take a step further? to address these things in a professional setting with a therapist. And so I think once you've evaluated where we are, I definitely think that a lot of us could benefit from sitting down and just processing just this year in front of a professional.
1: God knows I feel that way because <laughs> like, literally I started uh, my journey with my therapist, I want to say maybe fall of last year. Um, and that finished up in like January right before my birthday, uh, which was in March and then the pandemic hit and life hit. So I was already on the edge like and nobody really knew this. I was already on the edge coming into the year with tons of different stressors and just just issues that were just piling on top of one, on top of each other. But then this year hit and it almost feels like for me personally, I kind of shut down and just like literally dumped my head into work. And that's kind of been my mold of of coping. That's been my coping mechanism to just work, 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 stay on schedule, do what you got to do, just get through this year as unscathed as possible. Um, and I haven't talked to my therapist um, and I haven't even taken, you know, that step because also this year, you know, now with telemellas, telemedicine, you know, a lot of therapy sessions and a lot of doctor's visits or whatever have been over the computer. Um, So I have a question about for those that aren't quite comfortable yet speaking to someone, um, do you think, are there some tools or some things that individuals can do to kind of practice self-therapy on their own?
2: Yes. Let's, let's talk about why The why behind people not feeling comfortable first, and then I'll talk about some of the things that we could do on our own. Stigma is very real. You know, we have to address the elephant in the room because I think at a lot of those networking events, when I had the opportunity to say, hey, my name is Matthew and I'm a therapist, the energy in the room shifts, you know, because (laughs) they're thinking, okay, here we go. What is he going to think about me? You know, is he analyzing me? And we overthink. But it comes from a space of previous experiences with not just mental health professionals, but medical professionals as well as it relates to the black community. You know, there's been a lot of trust, mistrust relationships uh, when it comes to the medical professionals and African-Americans or people of African descent in the uh, in the United States. And so therefore, when you say that you are in this field, people automatically go to the default setting of I'm not crazy, I'm not stupid. this is not for me, this is for our counterparts, this is for only white you know, and then we go there and we deny ourselves the opportunity to heal effectively, and so we have to address that first. There is an advent of mental health professionals that are black, that are minorities that are Hispanic, that are you know of indian that that are that are for us that would do a great job in serving us. We just have to put our biases aside and get that help. But if you're still not there yet, I can definitely understand. It's not something that, uh, that everyone is ready for. Some of the things that we can do uh, is, of course, tap into the natural resources of what's there for us. What I mean by that is getting outside and breathing in some fresh air, making sure we have an exercise routine, which are uh, very healthy as it relates to releasing you know, uh, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, adrenaline, and so forth, and making sure we have different types of outlets that are healthy, coping mechanisms that are healthy, making sure that we have social circles, making sure that we have family, friends that we can go and talk to when it comes to processing some of the things that we're experiencing, Making sure that we utilize music, of course. You know, I love to dance. Music changes the mood almost automatically. There's also aroma therapy. You can get candles, incense, uh, diffusers, air, pur- you know, whatever it takes to change the setting, which will eventually change your mood based on whatever you're receiving. Um, there are plenty of things that we can do to get ourselves in a better space. I utilize the beach, which is a 10-minute walk from my office. I go to at least three times a week because I have to detox as a a therapist. And so I have a record player in my office as well. I listen to music all the time if if I don't have clients in the office. And of course, making sure that you can just have time for you. I know a lot of our time sometimes is spent on making sure everyone else is okay, but we have to take time and be okay with saying no to others and being okay with saying yes to ourselves, which is healthy because that's self-care.
0: First of all, I'm jealous that you get to walk to a beach whenever you want and indulge in the natural therapy that is nature. So I I need to make some adjustments in my life so I can have those kind of options as well. So I think those are all really important. Essential oils are something I dabble in a lot in my life. I'm currently turning my bedroom into like a plant jungle. (laughs) So that way I always see. Uh, see that as an opportunity for me to wake up in the environment that I would like to see, even though I live in a city. And I
1: know Kristen. Oh, Lisbon. her form of therapy is uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, is so therapy. you hit the nail on the head when, um, When Matt had mentioned like aromatherapy and music and even Yoli, you're talking about like greenery. Like those are the three things that I invested in heavily this year because it's like I'm working from home. I need to have as many senses stimulated as possible because if not, like a system was going to break. And it was like, literally, I get my Bath and Body Works candles. They have like some energy candles that are infused with like citrus that kind of help you focus in the mornings. And even, I mean, music. I am a huge fan of Pandora on the smart TV or on your computer, listening to that all day. I mean, if it wasn't for those two things in 2020, a girl wasn't going to make it.
2: Yeah, I I love the fact that, you know, you both said nature, you know, green, because that's something that I think all of us could benefit from automatically. And sometimes we close ourselves off from it, thinking that, you know, uh, I'm just trying to stay safe, you know, of course, with the pandemic and so forth. But nature is an it's a remedy and it's free. Sometimes just looking up and admiring the skylight, you know, uh, and, and seeing the different shapes of clouds is therapeutic within itself. Fortunate for us who live in South Florida. I mean, it's everywhere. Sometimes it's just opening up a window, literally just opening a window and allowing what's outside to be a part of what's inside as well. There's a whole ecosystem outside my window at home. I see iguanas, squirrels, ducks, uh A whole bunch of other stuff, you know, turtles, fish, all types of stuff right outside my window. And it's so therapeutic to just look at nature uh, uninterrupted, you know. So and then music. Oh, my gosh. Like I have a page called Hip Hop and Therapy. I'm a student of hip hop. I grew up in the late 80s and 90s. And hip hop has been a therapy for me. And so I thought it would be beneficial for those who have a hard time thinking of therapy as something that they can utilize. I use hip hop lyrics to infuse therapeutic messages to, uh, to that audience. So it's a page on IG called Hip Hop and Therapy that I think is beneficial for those who are hip hop fans and not necessarily fans of therapy to see how the two are in sync. You know, like there are a lot of messages that are in these lyrics that I really have to question. Are we listening to these artists? Some of these artists are crying out for help. Some of these artists have stated some of their traumatic past. Some some of these artists address some of the things that they're currently dealing with. And so you have to uh, really, really listen and then dissect some of the things that they're saying to see that it's not just us. When I say us, I'm I'm talking about the layperson versus the artist or the celebrity everybody's dealing with something, you know, it's how we address it that's important.
1: That honestly, Matt, just shook my whole world. Like I'm sitting here with my jaw on the ground, like, oh my gosh, the fact that hip hop and music can be so instrumental in dissecting therapy Like from the musician or the artist to even helping, you know, the lay person or the general person. Can you share again where people can find uh, what it's called the hip hop and what is it called again?
2: Yeah. So it's an IG page that I created about maybe a year or two, two years ago. It's called Hip Hop and Therapy. And you could just type it in on IG and it will come up. And I created that page because, like I said, I'm a student of hip hop and I remember being in distress as a teenager and listening to a person like Common and how it was healing for me, listening to Goody Mob and how it was therapeutic for me, listening to Ice Cube, Today Was a Good Day, and feeling like, wow, man, I needed that escape based on him taking me somewhere else. There are a lot of great storytellers in hip hop and their lyrics were healing for me. You know, it was something that I could relate to. And it was a greater story that uh, resembled my upbringing. I grew up in the city of Opalaca in Miami, which is the Compton of other spaces, which is the Brooklyn, you know, it's all these different spaces that we share the same reality, but sometimes we feel like we're by, we we're by ourselves. And so sharing those perspectives allow you to feel normal. It it brings a sense of normalcy to know that you're not by yourself. And that's what it was for me. And it was also a form of escape. And of course you add a Dr. Dre beat on there. Now I'm having a good time.
0: Let me just say this. I love that. I think that it's so dope that you have that platform. We will definitely be sharing it on our Instagram and on our website. I wanted to address a little bit about the nature aspect, because that's my that's my happy place. So there's a Rick, uh, a, a book by Richard Louv called Last Child in the Woods, and he coined the frame the phrase nature deficit disorder. And wow. I think during this pandemic, and even before the pandemic, but it really highlighted now because of the pandemic that nature deficit disorder is such a prevalent thing. And I wanted to touch on really quickly before we wrap up about our genetic memory of trauma, like what are your takes on genetic, uh, genetic trauma and genetic memory relative to that? Because there's a lot of people who don't trust you know, nature. They're like, what's out there? But I believe some of our, the trauma that we pass on is, is, is sometimes ingrained, not necessarily permanently ingrained, but can be passed on through memories and storytelling. So how do you, what are your thoughts around that?
2: Uh, that's something that I've studied uh, from a theorist called Murray Bowen. He has a theory called transgenerational therapy, where he looks at the previous generations to determine the health of the second or third generation from the grandparents. And that was the, that was the therapy that I was introduced to before grad school that kind of helped me understand myself as a young adult. You know, I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of uh, anxiety and depression, and I did not know where it came from. And so when I look back at my history, my father's father died when he was seven. I didn't come to know this information until I became an adult. When his dad died, he was raised by his mother and his four older sisters. And so when it was his time to become a father, he did not have uh, the necessary guidance to help him step into that role uh, confident and comfortable. And so what he dealt with as a young adult transitioned over into him as a father, which then kind of caused us to deal with trauma based on his unresolved issues and then Uh, Like I said, I have four older siblings, and I was the first to actually go get therapeutic help. And the difference in how it assisted me versus those who did not get assistance was very, very evident, very, very evident. And this is the transgenerational trauma that we're referring to. Uh, There's also an article that I read um, based on a training that I provide called um, Infant Mental Health, that the article is called the ghost in the nursery and you know the, just the title itself gave me chills when i finally realized what it was about when i read it the ghost in the nursery talks about if me as a parent is in my child's nursery it's not just me that's in there it's my parents it's my parents parents and it's their parents that's in there based on how each parent parent their previous their their child and now it's my time to become a parent and I'm still dealing with the residual traumatic effects of what my grandparents experience. And so there's also a term called post-traumatic slave syndrome. I can't remember the the doctor's name at this moment. Um, but it also talks about how the traumatic past of previous generations, three or four, five, six generations ago that we're still dealing with based on the psychological effects of what happened to us. And we're still living in, in those Time periods, uh, and we're still living as a like um, as, as the what's the word I'm looking for? We're still living based on the uh, traumatic impact implications of our past, and so it, it's something that we have to be aware of that it is real, and it's something that we have to make sure that we're addressing. You know, and you also talked about nature, the setting that we're in in this Western world isn't the setting that. We actually came from a lot of us that are brown and indigenous, you know, the brown, black uh, minorities. This is this is not our ideal setting. And so some of our reaction are just natural based on us being in a setting that's not natural to who we are. I was raised on an island, even though I was in what others would call poverty. It was probably the best years of my life based on the type of stress that occurs in that setting Versus the type of stresses that we have in a city, you know, and, and, and a more developed country. You know, the stresses are totally different and the stressors have different types of impacts. And so my escape has always been nature. You know, that's one of the places where I can just feel free, not be uh, tied down and just let go of a lot of the things that, you know, are internal. So that's, you know, I guess that's what I had to say about that.
1: That's great. I, I really um want to kind of touch back to something that you had talked about early on about how you first had your session, uh, your therapy session, and you lied in the first one. I have a question about if you had a wish for 2021, what are some of the things that you wish people would do in regards to therapy?
2: Wow. If I had one wish for people in 2021, I would wish for them to be more aware of their capacity. That means their mental, their emotional, and their physical. That's what mental health is. Understanding and being aware of your mental because your mental impacts your emotional and your emotional impacts your physical. So when you add those three components together, you're talking about a person's mental health. If we could, as a society, be more aware of where we are mentally, emotionally, and physically already we're making a difference. And when we understand where we are and we're dissatisfied with that current state, then it's time to take action. Then it's time to really step up and say I might need extra help in this regard and being brave enough to go out and get the appropriate help.
0: Thank you Matt. That that is the the pivotal point of and the, the pivotal point and point of this interview and having you as a guest. I'm so happy that you were able to give us some of the coins and the tokens that we can have to uplift ourselves and keep going and making sure that our mental health is our priority. How can people find you? How can they contact you? How can they become a potential patient? Please share with us all the ways.
2: Sure. I have uh, a website that they can visit, which is uh, beachstonecounseling.com that they can visit. And I have a lot of information on there that they can actually register for if they're interested in therapeutic sessions, I also do, uh, trainings, workshops, um, you name it. I've, I'm open to it. Uh, they can, they can also find me on social media at Matt Genius, which is M-A-T-J-E-A-N-I-U-S. You can follow me there and you can also follow me on either of my, uh, pages. I have a page for my practice, Beachstone Counseling. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Beachstone Counseling. You can also follow another page that I have that I mentioned earlier, Hip Hop and Therapy. You can follow that page. And lastly, you can also follow uh, Sober Words, which is a page that I have that fights stigma associated with mental health and substance use.
0: Thank you so, so much, Matt. Everyone follow Matt on the Instagrams and check out his website. We'll be definitely posting it on our website and our social media platforms.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Uh, I can't wait to come back and do it all over.
1: Well, yes, yeah. Yes, we'll be calling you. <laughs> Cuz we definitely like to be talking about black people and our feelings.
2: <laughs> oh, oh. this is just the tip of the iceberg, but I really enjoy enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, we're
0: bring, we're bringing you back, Matt. We we oh Lord. Everyone pray for all of us. This has been another necessary and needed conversation with black and real life. Please make sure to follow us on all the socials and interwebs, blackinreallife.com. And that's B-L-A-C-K inreallife.com or B-L-K inreallife.com. And on Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebooks at B-L-K in Real Life. See you on the black side.